Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I am Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends. I am excited to be continuing the conversation today with Eileen Kaminsky. You may recognize her as the author of The Cancer Bus, and she was on our podcast a couple weeks ago, so I'll be sure to link to that episode in the show notes below. Eileen is living with metastatic breast cancer. She was diagnosed de novo when she thought actually she had food poisoning, but lo and behold, they did some tests and it had spread to her bones. She is living now for seven plus years. She's on her seventh line of treatment and just is a wealth of information and knowledge and resources for us in the breast cancer community. I always love meeting people who have been further along than I am in my own breast cancer journey. And so I can just learn as much as possible, the good, the bad, the ugly, the gross, and all of that. But in today's conversation, we actually talk about something I hear a lot in our community. And that is when someone asks, how are you? What actually are they asking? And how should we respond? Eileen ties this answer in beautifully in today's episode. She actually ties it into her career pre-diagnosis as well, when she became a CEO at the age of 37. Now here, this is another point that I want to talk about and why today's episode is so exciting to me, because a lot of times, and like a lot of you, my listeners, my friends, the people who are showing up to all of our virtual events and sending me emails, we all know each other because of a breast cancer diagnosis. We don't really know each other because of the lives we lived prior to our diagnosis. And so half the time we're meeting each other and we're either bald, we don't have eyelashes, we may have, um, you know, stopped working for a period of time, et cetera. And we're going through all of this identity and all of these questions. Today we get into the nitty gritty. I really hope you enjoy. I think of myself as a human being within a microcosm of the world. And within that microcosm, I'm going to have a voice. I'm going to make change happen. I'm going to ensure that my talents can come to bear on whatever I can bring them to bear on, whether that's for an individual or a group of people. However I can do that, however I can be of service, I will. Welcome to the conversation. It's a subtext question. It's how are you for someone with cancer correct for someone with metastatic cancer is what they mean Mm -hmm. they don't mean how are you period or question mark they mean how are you you know in parent in parentheses for someone with cancer because they look at you as someone who's normal you look normal you look fine you may not be but you look fine right and and sadly i've had so many friends that I've made over the course of almost seven years who have died and who looked fine. They look fine. And that's what people say. You look fine. You look great. In parentheses for someone who has metastatic cancer. And, you know, I'm always very, very quick to say, do you mean, how am I generally speaking or how is my health with cancer? What are you asking me? Because it's not that I want to call people out on that. It's more, what, what do you mean, right? Like, if you want to report on my, you know, medical stuff, I can give you one. If you want just to know how I'm doing, you know, how are things with Craig? How are things at home? 
blah, 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 you know, how are things psychosocially? Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. But if you just want a health report, let me know and, and be specific. Yeah, People are afraid to be specific with cancer. It's like they're still whispering, she has cancer. You know, like they and used to do. And it might be contagious. I might get it too. Right, right. <laughs> if it can happen to her, it can happen to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I, I I think some people do think it's contagious too. Um, in, in elevators and stuff at, at um, cancer centers. You can tell the caregivers from the people with cancer because the caregivers will stand much further away. <laughs> Those yeah. people with cancer or or the reps that have come in, you know, to you know, to sell drugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but, but yeah, I also so. was given the the question too, like what I appreciate is like how are you doing today with that with the context of today? Knowing that right. we can be suffering and having bad days, but then also I could also be really happy. And, and great. And that doesn't quote unquote mean I'm over it. Right. Right. So, right, you know, I right. think it's very important to acknowledge like today in this moment, when you're asking me, I can be fantastic and I could be putting out fires left and right, but I'm thriving. Mm-hmm. And then there's other mm-hmm. days where it's just like, I'm just having a really tough day. I was on social media and a dear friend I saw is passing away and, and I'm kind of grieving through that because yeah. that yeah. could be me. And so, right. Yeah, right. it's it's very mentally tolling, not just physically. And I think when people ask the weighted question, "How are you?" it is weighted because we don't know the subcontext in which they're asking. And it used to be great or fine mm-hmm. before cancer, and I think that that's the general answer that people give. the 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 question, "How are you?" has become this sort of social thing where people are just used to saying like how you doing right Mm -hmm. i'm great thanks well you may not be great if you don't have cancer generally i think people just answer with yeah i'm great they don't Mm -hmm. want to tell you the truth they don't want to give you the true answer of you know things at home are terrible or i had a really bad day or three of my friends died in the last month so I'm really grieving. Um, that's the real answer now. Um, whereas before, you know, maybe work wasn't going so well or, you know, whatever. Ultimately, I think that there's a need for us to be just honest with ourselves when we get that question and also determine how much we really want to reveal to people depending on how close they are to us. Some people are really curious and they want to know because they do care. And and I found that there's a difference. But the difference then again is for the women I know with metastatic breast cancer who ask me that question, I know what they mean. And for those who ask me the question who don't have it, I've come to understand what they mean, which is I'm concerned about you or I know I need to ask you. So depending on their, you know, level of closeness to me, you know, are they very close or are they just acquaintances, what they really mean by that. And, you know, someone who I've met recently who may not know me well, they know me only as someone who has cancer. Yes. Yes. We meet a lot of people who only know us after this line has been drawn in the sand 
And this right. is just who we right. are. They see us bald. They see us with the hair coming back. They don't realize right. that maybe the hair's a different color. Maybe I gained 20 right. pounds. Maybe I lost 20 pounds. They have no right. idea. And this is how they meet us. Exactly. And, and they're meeting us in a very different way than we were 10 years ago, you know, five years ago, mm-hmm. or however long our diagnosis has been. And I was diagnosed so long ago. I don't even remember who my friends were then, to be honest with you. It's completely changed. My life has totally changed. In what ways has your life changed? I was someone who was very career-driven. Um, I was very focused on, you know, I put myself through college. I went to University of Florida. I have an English degree and a philosophy degree. Um, and what do you do with that? Of course, you go into high tech. What else do you do with it? <laughs> so. I went into high-tech PR and then wound up in marketing and then, you know, kind of climbed and clawed my way up the ladder. One of the first things I noticed, though, when I got into high-tech, we're going back 27, 28, 29, 30 years now, was that there were the same men on the speaker circuit. And I was sick and tired of it. So I actually started a women's speakers bureau. I don't always look at things like, oh, here's a problem darn it. I'm going to just complain about it. Here's a problem. There's got to be a solution to this. And the solution is let's find women who are willing to talk and have something to say, and then put them out there to, at the time, and now I'm dating myself, printed magazines, which were the big deal, right? So I had happened to be writing a lot of articles at the time. And so I knew all the editors of these magazines and the owners of the magazines. And so put together a speaker's bureau with a woman who had a small research firm, um, and but a well-known research firm for telecom. And she and I got it started. We had about 40 women in our cadre of speakers. It was doing really well. I was speaking a lot. She was speaking a lot. And it changed the landscape of those speakers. And that's how I tend to come at everything. If I get to something and I see a problem or I see a, you know, a roadblock, I'm going to get rid of it or I'm going to find a way to get rid of it. And if I can't get rid of it, I'm going to do my best to get around it, over it, under it, however I can do it. I had had a goal from the time I was 30 that by the time I was 40, I would be a CEO. I had a picture of Meg Whitman on my desk and she was like my idol. Now, I did not know what her politics were at the time. Had I known, I probably would not have had her on my desk, but that's okay. She had gone and been the CEO of eBay. And to me, that was a big deal. And so um, that was my goal. Well, I met that goal by the time I was 37. And I was the CEO of a company with 2,500 employees with call centers in I'm sorry, call centers in the Philippines, the US, and in India. So I was traveling all over the world. Um, I was traveling probably 90% of the time, actually. It was very exhausting. I was making payroll for 2,500 people, which is frightening. And it was a public company. So I was chair of the board. And I had investors that I had to answer to. And what I realized was I was getting an MBA in a box. So I did really well everywhere I went. I did super well in my career. And then I hit 45 and 
everything came to this screeching halt. People didn't want to hire me because I was female, I was middle-aged, and they didn't want to pay me what I was worth. And I had that CEO stamp on my resume. And they're like, well, why do you want to be a director now or a senior director now? I said, well, don't look at the CEO. That was a period of my life. I don't expect to take over the company. I expect to go back to my wheelhouse because that was a very stressful job that I don't think I would want to do again. There were so many things going on in my life that I am sure that that stress load probably kicked off whatever was in me that had started this process of cancer at the time because I was diagnosed at 49. So, and I had to retire immediately. It was like, go home and get your affairs in order. I think I approached my career the way I approach my life now, which is I think of myself as a human being within a microcosm of the world. And within that microcosm, I'm going to have a voice. I'm going to make change happen. I'm going to ensure that my talents can come to bear on whatever I can bring them to bear on, whether that's for an individual or a group of people or a wider group of people. Um, So from an organization to the general community, um, however I can do that, however I can be of service, I will. And because you don't get paid now, (laughs) which has its own (laughs) lack of reward, um, unfortunately, the thing that, you know, I stress most about now is is finances because it's getting everything paid for. And so, you know, if I can make changes in how things get paid for, if I can make change in how things help medications get to patients, For instance, I know that I am not the only one sitting around with probably $100,000 worth of medication that other people can use that I'm told to destroy. And there's something in, because when you're done, you're done, right? So I can have months worth of, let's say, eye brands left, which I do. But I can think of 100 people who could probably use that. Why are we not pooling those medications that everyone has left over that are still good and getting those to people in need? I don't understand that, that that's something that, that just, I understand that they're worried about tampering, but I think that in this case, that would not happen. That just wouldn't happen. And there's ways of checking things and, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, UV lights that they can use to check for holes and puncture marks and things like that. So there are ways to check the medication for for integrity. What a great point. I'm sure there's so many drugs that people just have and end up throwing away that could be utilized for for good and helping so many more people who can't afford to acquire these medications. So you find out that you have breast cancer. You're highly successful in your career. What do you do next? Do you tell your employer? That very same day. March 25th of 2015, I had decided I was, prior to that, I decided I was changing careers. And I talked to Craig and I said, I can't do tech anymore. I just can't. I said, I'm sick of the rat race. I'm sick of fighting for, you know, position. I'm sick of fighting for raises. I'm sick of fighting for decent salary. I'm sick of fighting for other women. I'm just tired of it. And 
I wanted to make jewelry because in my spare time, that's what I did. That was my hobby, but I was getting really good at it. When I said this was what I was going to do and I was going to get my um, GIA, which is the gemology certification, and Craig had offered to pay for it and all of that. And I was really grateful um, that he was willing to support me changing careers. It's a big deal. They offered me a job. And she said, don't bother getting your certification. You can apprentice with me and you can work on the floor and we'll give you this salary and you'll get, you know, 25% of whatever you sell. And that's a lot. And so it turned out to be a very lucrative position, which I had no idea it would be. So I lucked out once again, not so much. I was diagnosed the very same day I was supposed to start that job. Having to call Terry, her name is Terry, having to call Terry of Willow Glen Diamond and saying, Terry, you're not going to believe it, but her heart sunk. I mean, I just, I remember going in um, about a month after the diagnosis and, you know, getting out of the hospital and they're like, you really look great, you know? And I did. I mean, I looked still the same at that time. I looked nothing like I look then now because these medications certainly take their toll on you. But I was about to change careers. And I thought, well, okay, let's just see this as a career change. What can we do? We can't sit around at home doing nothing. So I decided I was going to um, do my second love, which was sell vintage. And so um, I started buying and selling through estate sales and auctions vintage clothing, vintage jewelry, and women's stuff. And I had spaces in two um, antique shops and and an Etsy shop. As time went on, that became too stressful for me. And it's all about what I can do, not what I can't do. I try and focus on what I can do. I don't bemoan what I can't do. So I know I can't do that jewelry job. And it it hurt, I have to say. I was so excited for that day to come. And boy, it was a very different day than I thought it would be. I was I was a very high-powered woman executive, you know, and it, it, it tears at me still, I think, to know that that's not part of who I am anymore. But I'm sitting there on the plane, and I'm reading this article, and I look on the front page, right smack in the middle is Comcast releases its triple play. And while my name was not in it, I knew that was my deal. And I'm like, yes, finally, this is so cool. And I'm like, that's me, that's me. And it didn't have to say my name. I think for business in business, it doesn't have to say your name. I think in cancer, it does. Because it's important that our names are remembered. I know that there's been times at work where I've not always received credit, where I thought sometimes credit was due. But the idea is, those were my ideas. Those were my suggestions and recommendations. And if someone else's name is attached to it, it doesn't bother me because I know where the ideas came from. And most likely, so does that person as well. In the cancer world, I 100% agree. Saying our names and making sure that it's attached to the work that we're doing in any capacity is really important. It's a way of building our legacy. It's a way of talking about ourselves now in the present, and also a way to talk about those who have gone before us and to keep their memories alive. Yes, I completely agree with that. 
And our legacy doesn't have to be this big, crazy thing like starting a blog or starting a nonprofit the way you and I have, but it could just be being a good friend for somebody, listening to them, making yourself available and living with compassion and empathy. All really great advice. Thank you, Eileen, again, for being on today's Breast Cancer Conversation episode. And thank all of you, our listeners, for joining us today. As a reminder, all of our content on our podcast is peer-to-peer support and is never meant to be taken for medical advice. Please feel free to continue the conversation online by following us on Twitter. Our handle is SBC underscore ORG. And on Instagram, our handle is Surviving Breast Cancer Org, all one word. And of course, I had to put in a plug. If you love our content, please hop over to iTunes, give us five stars and write your review. It really means the world. Until next time, keep on thriving.